the book of Galatians. Galatians, that I'm looking forward to studying this book together in the coming months, probably over the next year, and uh, it's going to be a good time together as we dive into the book of Galatians, and so excited about that. Well, as we think about this matter, and I was preparing and, and thinking about the main themes of the book and some different things, my mind went to a place that uh, really was a terrifying part in my teenage life, and probably maybe for you as, you, you as well, back to when you were getting your driver's license. And uh, I can remember whenever I was uh, preparing to get my driver's license in, in, uh, in, in Indiana, uh, you had to go through driver's ed if you wanted to get it whenever you turned 16 years old. And uh, I, I can remember at 15 years old uh, going to driver's ed class and sitting in there with a bunch of other kids that were, I, I remember sitting there and thinking to myself, these are the ones that are going to be on the road. This is terrifying for me. Uh, I can't imagine what it's like for everybody else. And, and uh, we, we sat there, but I, I know there was a, a number of things that, uh, that we looked forward to and, and uh, a, num a number of things that we didn't look forward to. I remember they tried to scare us out of our minds uh, from driving by showing us pictures and videos of of crashes and things like that, and uh, uh, trying to scare us from ever wanting to even get on a road one day, and uh, I can remember that vividly. Uh, I, I was confident that only a few in our room that was in there with me would probably survive once we actually got on the road. That was, uh, that was how terrifying they made it for us. I remember being excited for the day that we were actually going to take our test, because then we could really show off our skills and uh, you know show the person on the other side uh, just how great of a driver that we were, all right? Not just on a piece of paper. And I can remember as well the test that we had to take. And maybe you remember, like me, the test was full of signs that you had to memorize the actual definitions to. And uh, I remember thinking, these don't make any sense. I don't know if you've been like that. I, I want to help you. I know we got a few that, that are right on the border of, of getting their driver's license. And, and there's probably many that have been driving for some time and have completely forgotten what those signs mean. Uh, for example, like uh, some of you in this moon You've forgotten what a speed limit sign means, okay? That means only go to a certain speed. But, but there's some other signs, and so I thought we'd pull up a few of them today and see if we could help you out with reminding what they are. And so George is going to help me out with, uh, with a few of these. So the first one, we'll, we'll start off nice and easy. What is this one? All right, everybody, it is stop. All right, yes, it's slot. Yes, okay, already we have a failure in our class. All right, uh, we've got, uh, how about another one, George? Uh, we, we've got this one. Okay, we're starting off nice and easy. All right, how about this? Yield, right? Okay, you always have the one in the class that you just want to kick out and, uh, you know, so uh, yield, right? Okay, that's another one. Now, it's going to get a little more difficult. How about the next one, George? So, left turn ahead. Okay, here we go. What is it, George? So, left turn ahead. Good job. All right, some of you got it. Good job. Now, let's, let's go to the next one. Huh. Um, Bendy Road, you know what I mean? Like, what, what is, uh, you know, what, what do we got? Any, any ideas, you know? Is there any... Anybody brave enough to really step up and actually say what it is? All right, what is it, George? So he's not going to tell us. All right, left, reverse, turn ahead. How many of you got that one right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, really, that's not what that means. Okay, that's uh, that's. Uh, but that's I I, the, I pulled these off of the actual site. All right, so this is the real deal. Okay, how about this next one? Motorcycle road, windy road, right? Yeah. Uh, Curvy road, all right? That was what that would be what we would call it. Uh, what, what is this, George? So, winding road left ahead. I told Trusted this. I said, there's no way that's what that is. But that's what they, I mean, that's what they said, all right? So, I don't, 
I mean, it makes no sense to me. Can you imagine? I, would, I guarantee I got that one wrong on my test. I mean, there's no way that I got that one right. How about, uh, do we get another one, George? So I think, okay, this one. All right, this is the one. All right. I, I remember hearing a story about a, a, a girl. I won't tell you the color of her hair, but she, was, uh, she called in, and uh, she was very upset because they had placed this sign next to the road. She said, that's a terrible place for deer to cross. And, uh, and um, I don't think that's how that works. But what is this one, George? So deer crossing, all right? You know, this is, this is a place where, where deer often cross. I think we got maybe one or two more here. So, uh, yep. Oh, yeah. I don't think that's deer crossing. I think, uh, think something's wrong here. Okay, maybe one more, George. What's, what's the next one? So no U-turn. You know, as I was thinking about the book of Galatians and thinking about the overall theme of the book, I think it really could be summed up by this street sign. No U-turn. No turning back. You see, in the book here of, of Galatians, what we're going to find out is they dealt with a number of different things. Paul addresses, we're going to talk about him, he addresses a number of different things in this passage of Scripture. But the overwhelming emphasis in this book was this thought, don't turn back, don't turn, don't, don't, no U-turns, don't go back to the way things used to be in your life. Don't go back to, to, to where you came from. Keep pressing forward for God. No U-turns, no turning back. The author of this book, we already mentioned it was, he recorded nearly half of the New Testament books. His name is the very familiar, it's the very first word in the book of Galatians. In Galatians chapter 1, verse number 1, the very first word, Paul. Paul. Following his conversion on the road to Damascus, Paul was used by God to reach more people and more regions in the New Testament than pretty much any other individual. I, I was reading something, I thought this was interesting. There was a, 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 a second century writer who, who wrote a, an article, wrote a book that was entitled The Acts of Paul and Thecla, and it says this about the Apostle Paul, it described him. He says he was a man of small stature with a bald head and crooked legs. In a good state of body, with eyebrows meeting, he had a unibrow, isn't that funny? And the nose somewhat hooked, full of friendliness. For now he appeared like a man, and or for, for now he appeared like a man, and now he had the face of an angel. A little bit of a description about maybe what Paul might have looked like. He was a bald guy with a unibrow. I mean, you think about that with crooked legs. That's what, the, what, they, what they wrote about him. That was some of the defining characteristics, uh, characteristics of, of Paul. To understand a little bit better about this book that we're going to dive into, it would be good to, to kind of go back just for a moment and think about what led him to this place when he wrote this book of Galatians. We know this, that he studied under the, the notable Gamaliel in Jerusalem where he became an expert in the law. That was something that was, that was very unique about him, that he was raised under his tutelage and, and, and learned much from him. It was Paul who approved the stoning of the first recorded martyr in the scripture, Stephen. You'll remember that after Stephen had preached the gospel and they, they came upon him and they began to gnash on him with their, their teeth and, and to stone him before they did it, the Bible tells us that they laid their, their coats down at a man's feet whose name was Saul. That's, that, was, that was who 
we're reading about. That's who we're talking about. He was born Saul of Tarsus, but he eventually became known as Paul. It was uh, sometime following that while on the road to Damascus to persecute more Christians that Paul met Jesus. And when Paul met Jesus and accepted him as his Savior, everything changed. His whole life, the whole direction, everything in his life completely changed. Paul got connected with a friend whose name was Barnabas. And Barnabas came alongside of him and traveled with him to Jerusalem where he introduced him to the other apostles. And then for a period of time, Paul traveled and preached the gospel and brought help to people in Tarsus and Syria, Cilicia, Antioch, and to Jerusalem. And then following those travels, Paul and Barnabas headed out on what would become known as their first missionary journey. First missionary journey. And it was on this first missionary journey that they traveled through a region, planting churches, leading people to Christ, and that region was the region of Galatia. Galatia. Galatia had many familiar cities within it. Cities like Antioch and Iconium, Lystra and Derbe. Luke actually records about this period of time that, 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 that whenever they traveled through Galatia over in Acts chapter number 13 through chapter number 14 is where really you find that first, uh, first missionary journey. Now following that missionary journey was when Paul pulled out the quill and the parchment and he penned this letter that we're going to look at, this letter of Galatia, Galatians. He was pinning it to the churches at Galatia, those churches at Antioch, the churches at Iconium, the churches at Lystra, and at Derpy. It was pinned around 49 AD, and he was writing to these, these new believers that he had just led to the Lord, the believers who had just so recently followed Christ. But as we're going to see as we go through this book of Galatians, they were already turning back from the simple gospel message that had been preached to them. And Paul's overwhelming challenge throughout this little book is just what that little sign says. No turning back. No U-turns. Don't go back to the way things used to be. Right from the start, Paul begins by refuting the attacks of the enemies of Christ and the ones that they were using. Right from the beginning, we see in verse number one, Paul's defense. Paul's defense. Look with me, if you would, at Galatians chapter number one, verse number one. It says this, Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Paul, as we mentioned, wrote at least 13, maybe 14, I believe 14 books that we find in the New Testament. Of the, 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 the 13 or 14 books that we have in the New Testament that he wrote, seven of them he began by saying, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. It was his favorite way to describe himself, his favorite way to introduce himself in a book of the Bible. Other times he referred to himself as a servant. Uh, one time he even referred to himself as, as a slave. Or, or as a prisoner of the Lord. But, but seven of those 13 greetings, he begins by saying, I am an apostle of Jesus Christ. An apostle was somebody that was specifically commissioned by Christ. This included the 12 disciples following Christ's resurrection and Paul, who was commissioned by Christ on the road to Damascus. But immediately, he delves into something that he doesn't do in those other greetings. 
And all the other ones, he would say, I'm apostle, apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm an apostle of the, that, that would what he would, he would always do. But immediately he, he begins, he jumps into his, his refuting of what the enemies must have been attacking. He immediately defends his call. He says, Paul, an apostle, but then he says this, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ, God the Father, who raised him from the dead. You see, following the presence of Paul and Barnabas in these cities throughout Galatia, false teachers and religious Pharisees began to make their way into these cities with their false teachings, adding to the gospel. In fact, many times, on many occasions, they were the very ones that ran Paul and Barnabas out of town. In Acts chapter number 13, Paul had just preached the gospel in a synagogue in Antioch. And in verses 40, 44 through 45, the Bible says, "In the next Sabbath day came almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitude, they were filled with envy, spake against those things which Paul, uh, which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. Here they were. They were contradicting what Paul had to say. They became so angry. They're just a few verses later in verse number 15. The, 50, the Bible says, but the Jews stirred up the devout and, and honorable women. That's, that's always interesting to me. Where did they go whenever they wanted to create conflict and, and create problems? Well, they went to the women. I don't know. I mean, you you take that. Listen, I'm just reading the Bible here, okay? Uh, but that, that was where they started, right? They stirred up the, the honorable women in the, in the town, right? And the chief men of the city, and they raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them out of their coasts. I mean, they came in right away and began attacking Paul and Barnabas and, and attacking the preaching and the teaching that they had been doing. In Acts chapter number 14, they were in Lystra, and Paul, through the power of God, had healed a man who had been unable to walk from his birth. And when the people saw it, they began to worship Paul and Barnabas. And Paul and Barnabas, when they saw this, in verse number 14, it says that, that the apostles, Paul and Barnabas, when they heard it, rent their clothes. They ran up among the people, crying out and saying, Sirs, why do ye these things? We also are men like, like, of, of like passions with you, and preaching to you that you should turn from these vanities into the living God, which made heaven and earth and sea and all things that are therein. These people, they begin to, to fall down and worship Paul and Barnabas, and they, they begin to call them Mercurius and, and Jupiter, as they were, uh, what they, they called them one of their gods that had come down from the skies. And that, that's what they began to believe. And Paul Paul and Barnabas, when they found out about it, they came out and said, hold on a second. We're not gods. We're just like you are. We're just men just like you. But they said, let us tell you about one that you should be, should be worshiping. He's the one that made the stars in the sky, made the heavens above. Listen, he's the one that's worthy of your praise. But after they said that, the Bible tells us in verses 19 and 20 that there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium. Those same guys that had just cast them out of the previous city, out of, out of Antioch. They came in and it says they persuaded the people and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city supposing he had been dead. They stoned him to death. They were trying to kill Paul. Howbeit, as the disciples stood round about him, he rose up and came into the city and the next day departed with Barnabas to Derbe. You see, 
Time after time, we find them going into these cities, preaching the gospel, giving the truth of God's word. And what happened? The religious crowd rose up after them, cast them out, and then tried to, to contradict the gospel that they had been preaching. And listen, the young believers that were hearing it were following it, falling into that trap. We'll see more about that in weeks, but here we are at Paul, I think... In, in Paul's defense, as, 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 he was, as he was giving these gospel and as he was saying these things, he was saying, listen, I'm telling you the truth. I'm telling you what I know. I'm telling you what I've experienced. I'm telling you what I've seen. Let me tell you the gospel is he'd go to these places and the people, whenever they'd hear these people that would come in and contradict what Paul had to say, I have no doubt that they were responding in a certain way because we see it in Paul's defense of himself. I have no doubt that whenever the Jews, these religious Jews would come in, whenever these, the, 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 the false teachers were coming in teaching these things, I have no doubt that this is how the people were responding. But Paul said, Oh, listen, that, that, that gospel I know that he said that, that you have to do, let me tell you what you really need to do. Here's what you have to do. You have to add to the law, and you have to, you have to, you have to do all these different things and keep all the 613 commandments in the law, and then you have to do these things on top of that if you really want to get to heaven. And they'd look at him and they'd say, but, 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 but Paul said, but Paul said that it was this way. But Paul said that it was that way. And, and, and then there was this confusion and all of a sudden they began to be led astray into other teachings and other beliefs. And Paul, when he was defending his calling, it wasn't because he was proud of his position. Listen, it was because of the importance of the message that he was preaching. Because listen, it was a message, and this is what he was getting at, a message that didn't come from him. See, he wanted them to understand, no, 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 yes, I'm an apostle, but, but it's not about me. It's not about me. It's not about what I said. See, it wasn't that Paul, it wasn't that Paul was an apostle that made the message powerful. It wasn't that Paul was a preacher that made the message powerful. It wasn't that Barnabas was a super nice and likable guy that made the words powerful. No, Paul knew what made what they taught so powerful. And it was the primary thing that he wrote to defend. What he had preached was not from him. It was the word from God. See, Paul didn't point back to his training with Gamaliel. He, he didn't point back to his religious learning as a Pharisee. He didn't just say, well, listen, I'm an apostle, and that's why you should listen to what he said. No, Paul understood the power of the message came from the one that it originated from, and the one that it originated from was not him. It didn't come from something that he made up. No, it came from one that was stronger and powerful and higher than what he was. No, his message was from Jesus Christ and God the Father who had that who raised him from the dead. That was the trump card. That was what gave him power over everything that he had to say and everything that was going on. That is, listen, the foundation of the book of the book of Galatians that we're going to look at. Paul says it wasn't about me, what I had to say. It's because it's a message from God. From God. 
You know, friend, we live in a world with a lot of voices today. News channels, podcasts, radios, teachers, professors, parents, friends, bosses, co-workers, and even preachers. Listen, everyone has something to say and everybody is constantly speaking into our lives. But listen, not everyone can be right. Do you get that? Not every message can be true. When one person over here is saying one thing, one person over here is saying one thing, and they're contradictory to each other, can I tell you, not everything can be true. Seems crazy that it has to be said, but it has to be said. There is objective truth. Subjective truth means it's subjective to what you or I believe. That's the world that we live in. Everybody thinks, well, my truth may be different than your truth. No, listen, friend. Truth is truth. There is truth, and it's objective. And it doesn't matter if you believe one thing and I believe another thing. The, the, the problem is, is we both could be wrong because there's one truth. And whether you say it's true or I say it's true, it's still true. Today, as we lay the foundation for the rest of the book of Galatians that we're going to be diving into, can I encourage you? To let this book be the absolute truth. See, as we go through this, we're going to get into some things where you're going to be sitting there and going, yes, I like this. This is good stuff. Oh, yeah, preach it. That's good. You can park it there. Spend some time there. Talk some more about that. But can I tell you, we're going to get into some stuff as we go through. We're going to be sitting there and going, listen, if I knew you were preaching that, I wouldn't have came today. All right? <laughs> but can I challenge you? It's not about me. It's about this book. Can we decide right from the beginning that, listen, this book is going to be the authority. This book of Galatians that we're going to dive into, within its context, that is going to be the final truth that we are going to believe. Not my truth, not your truth, this truth. That's the only thing that's going to matter. And I hope today you'll purpose and decide to submit to that truth. So many Christians are like those Galatians who have been corrupted by religion. By God's grace through the book of Galatians, my prayer is that God will be able to do some deprogramming in some minds, some rewriting in some hearts, to take some things that maybe you've always believed and erase them and put the truth of God's word there. Some of you in this room, you've been holding on to a belief because some pastor, preacher, pope, or priest told you. Friend, may we not find ourselves in the shallow place of these believers in Galatia when their only defense was, well, Paul said. I hope as we go through this book, you'll be able not to say, well, pastor said. Well, this preacher said, no, 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 friend, I hope you'll be able to get to the end of it and say, well, but God says. God says. Listen to Paul today as he proclaims, proclaims, listen, these messages were not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Today's the foundation. So what can we learn today? What can we take away from today? One verse that we can learn from. I want you to learn this first of all. 
Don't be the one who leads someone else from the truth. Don't be the one who leads someone else from the truth. Listen, just because you believe something doesn't mean it's the truth. Can I help us this morning? There's a difference between doctrine and preference. This is so important. Doctrine, what is doctrine? There are different ologies. Maybe you've heard of some of these. Theology, right? The study of God. Christology, what do you think that might be? The study of Christ, right? Okay, good. You guys are doing good. Uh, how, how about this? All right, uh, let's, let's, let's go to a little bit harder. Let's, let's do a, another, uh, maybe a, a slightly easier one. Ecclesiology. This is a little bit harder. Anybody have any idea what that might be? Ecclesiology, the study of the, the church. Very good. Okay, good. Man, we're, we're doing pretty good here, okay? Uh, let's see. Uh, let's, let's do another one. How about uh, pneumatology? Now we're getting hard here, okay? Pneumatology. Pneuma is a, is a Greek word, all right? Uh, it would be the study of the, anybody got an idea? Holy Spirit, man, we've got some geniuses in this room. All right, some of you need to be writing these things down, okay? Uh, you know, pneumatology, new, new, new I need to write these things down, all right? How about this one? This is, this is an easy one. Eschatology, the study of the end times, last days, right, okay? Uh, you know, how about this one? Uh, soteriology, ooh, oh, the study of our salvation. Man, good, all right. What, what are these? These are doctrines of our faith. Like, for example, we believe in the Trinity. The Trinity. What is that? That God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit are equal. That they are equally God. That they are three distinct persons. But they are all co-equally God. Say, so how does all that work? Can you give me an illustration? Listen, there's illustrations and things like that. Nothing does adequately enough. There's some things that are beyond our comprehension, but we understand that they are three distinct persons. They are all three God. See, there are things in the Bible that we look at and we say, these are doctrines, these are foundations, these are things that are unmovable, that we have to be secure and firm in. We cannot change on these things. We cannot give an inch when it comes to those things. For example, if someone comes in and says, listen, I believe that Jesus, yeah, he, he's, he's like God, but I don't believe he is God. If somebody came in and said that, I would look at them in the face and I would say, well, I love you, but listen, you're wrong. Because the Bible says, not because Kyle says, the Bible says that God, Jesus Christ is God. Not was God, not becoming God. No, He is God. Listen, it's a foundation, it's a doctrine, it's something that we don't change. But preferences are different. For example, the Bible also teaches about music. Isaac's super passionate about music. I'm thankful for it. Uh, he's not good at many things, but he's good at music, so I'm just kidding. No, listen, I'm, I'm thankful for it. He's, he, he loves music, and, and he's passionate about it. He's got a, a, a drive for music. And, and Isaac, as he's been studying things like that, the Lord's grown him, and the Lord's grown me when it comes to, to music over these last couple of years and things like that, uh, to understand that, listen, there are certain preferential things when it comes to music. Now, with that being said, there, the Bible tells us that there are certain types of music that are worldly, and there's certain types of music that honor God, that are godly. Now, where is the line? Well, it's kind of hard to find a hard, fast line. So let me teach you another word. Doctrine, 
principle, or excuse me, preferences. I gave you the third one. The third one, this is important. Principles. Principles. You see, principles, the Bible tells us that there are some areas in the Bible that are not black and white. Doctrine, black and white. But there's some areas in the Christian life that are more gray. A little bit, I mean, it's just not, it's not as black and white as you might find some things like Jesus Christ is God. It doesn't say only listen to this music, okay? It, it doesn't say that. So what, how do we determine some of those things where we have this thing called biblical principles? There are principles in the Bible about holiness. There are principles in the Bible about separation. There are principles in the Bible about certain things that, listen, that we use to mold, listen, our preferences, our preferences. Now here's the key. Our principles are dictated by two things. This book and the Spirit of God. See, as we are dictated by this book and the Spirit of God, the Bible tells us that the Spirit will guide us into all truth. He will guide us into something that is true. Listen, the Spirit will never guide you contrary to the word of God. It will always agree. So when someone comes in, uh, and, and uh, I heard a preacher talking about this, and, and he said, somebody came into him one day and, and said, listen, he said, I just believe the Holy Spirit spoke to me, and I believe I should leave my wife and go with this other woman. And the, the preacher looked at him and said, that wasn't the Spirit of God. <laughs> Why? Because there are things in the Bible <laughs> that make it clear that's not the way that you're supposed to do things, Okay. What is that? It's, it's, it's being led by the Spirit of God, and the Spirit will lead you into all truth. He will guide you according to the Scriptures. Now listen, here's the problem. A lot of people have mixed those things up. And they think doctrine and preferences are the same. You see, there's a danger on both sides. There's a danger on both sides. There's a danger to be, have no principles and be all up for it and just do whatever you want to do. No, 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 listen. The Bible has principles that tells us we can't just live the way that we want to live, that we have to be guided according to the truth of God's Word. There are certain principles that we should live by. Yes, absolutely. But there's the other side where suddenly my principles have dictated my preferences, and now my preferences I've elevated to the level of my doctrine, and because of that, now everybody should do what I say that you should do, because now it's black and white. You see, this morning my goal is not to teach you what to think. Do you get that? This, this is important. When it comes to principles in the scriptures, it's not about teaching you what to take, think. Can I, t can I help you? It's about teaching how to think. To develop preferences that are based on the principles of God's word. To learn how to be led of the spirit, not just of the preacher. So important. See, here's the danger of telling people what to think. 
Mark chapter number 7, the Pharisees came along. Jesus and his disciples were eating, and guess what? They didn't wash their hands. I know, that's crazy, okay? But they didn't wash their hands, and the disciples, uh, the Pharisees began to criticize. The Bible says that they found fault with Jesus. Isn't that crazy? They found fault with Jesus. They said, man, if Jesus, is, if only you would be as holy as what we are. That's what they were doing. Can you, that's just crazy. And Jesus looked at him in verse number 13. Listen to what he said. He says, you're making the word of God of none effect through your traditions, which he delivered. And many such things, like things you do, do you? You know what he said there? The Bible tells us that the word of God is quick, it's powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword that it pierces, it divides, it conquers. In Isaiah, the Bible tells us that the Bible will accomplish where it is sent. This book is powerful. But Jesus himself looked and said, you know what you're doing? You're adding to this. You've taken your preferences and elevated them to the level of doctrine, your traditions. And because you've done that, you've made this book of none effect. See, friend, the danger can be when you or I lead someone to believe that something that is extra biblical based on my preferences and we try to get them to convince them of our position and why they should hold the my position, and it's black and white, and we get to that place of something that really is a preference. And the Bible tells us that it will take away from the power of God, and listen, can lead them away from the truth. You see, many get in an uproar about adding or taking away from the word of God. When it talks to adding words or taking away words, don't mess with my Bible. I mean, listen, there are certain things that we ought to stand upon, right? All the while doing the same thing when they add to the word of God by elevating preferences to a level God never intended them to be and pushing them on someone else. Did you get that? I hope you didn't miss it. We get real passionate when somebody adds to the doctrines or takes away from the doctrines. And we're passionate about it. But Jesus said, you're doing the same thing when you elevate your preferences to the level of doctrine and you push them upon someone else. Whew. Friend, can I encourage you this morning? Don't be the one who leads someone from the truth. That's exactly what was happening to those believers Paul was writing to as the religious crowd tried to add to the word of God that Paul had preached to them. Don't be the one who leads someone from the truth. Secondly, this morning, we're done. Don't forget the only one whose message actually matters. <laughs> it isn't yours and it isn't mine. There's only one who actually matters. Paul makes it so clear right off the bat, there's only one whose message actually matters. Not of men, neither by man, 
but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. That is the message that's worth standing for. See, Paul could have cowered in a corner after he'd been stoned and ran out of town. He could have cowered in a corner and just said, you know what, oh well, I did what I could do. What's amazing to me, you read over there in Acts chapter number 14, after Paul gets stoned at Lystra, and the Bible tells us that, that they left him for dead, and then the next, that he, that he stands up, and, and he goes, and the Bible says he goes into the next city, and the very next verse, the Bible tells us that he goes back to Lystra. That's crazy to me. Like, Paul, did you have a death wish? What in the world? You're crazy, man. I mean, like, if somebody's trying to kill you, I mean, like, you don't walk back over and go, hey, guys, you know, I'm back. You know, that's not the way. But that's what Paul did. Why? Because he wasn't cowering in a corner. Because he knew there was a message that was worth preaching, and it was a message that wasn't from him. It was a message from the Lord. See, we're going to see in the next couple of weeks that Paul jumps right to the point and, and proclaiming that message. In, in chapter number 1, verse number 3 through 5, he says this, Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for, for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God the Father to whom he glory forever and ever. Amen. He said it's all about the gospel. Friend, only God knows the names of some who made the greatest impacts for the cause of Christ. Those who were willing to give their lives for the sake of the gospel to move forward. Men and women, like the Apostle Paul, who cared more about the message than about their names. Because they knew it was about the message that mattered, not about themselves. It's about 150 years ago that there was a great revival in Wales. As a result of this, many missionaries came to the northeast India uh, region to spread the gospel. And the region known as Assam was comprised of hundreds of tribes who were primitive and aggressive headhunters. Into the hostile and aggressive communities came a group of missionaries from the American Baptist missions spreading the message of love, peace, and hope in Jesus Christ. Naturally, they were not welcomed. One missionary succeeded in converting a man, his wife, and two children. This man's faith proved contagious and many villagers began to accept Christianity. Angrily, the village chief summoned all the villagers together. And he then called the family who had just converted to renounce their faith in public or face execution. Moved by the Holy Spirit, the man said, I have decided to follow Jesus. Enraged at the refusal of the man, the chief ordered his archers to arrow down the two children that he had. As both boys lay twitching on the floor, the chief asked, Will you deny your faith now? You've lost both your children. You will lose your wife too. But the man replied, Though no one joins me, still I will follow. The chief was beside himself with fury and ordered his wife to be arrowed down. In a moment, she joined her two children in death. Now he asked for the last time, I will give you one more opportunity to deny your faith and live. In the face of death, the man said the final memorable lines, the before me, the world behind me, no turning back. 
he was shot dead like the rest of his family. But with their deaths, a miracle took place. The chief who had ordered the killings was so moved by the faith of the man, he wondered, why should this man, his wife and two children, die for a man who lived in a far land in another continent some 2,000 years ago? There must be some remarkable power behind the family's faith. And I too want to taste that faith. May you and I be challenged this morning by the example of the Apostle Paul and so many others who have gone before us and determined that there is a message that matters. There is a message that is worth proclaiming. There is a message that is worth standing for. And that message is not a message about you or me. It's not a message about my preferences or yours. There's a message, and it's the message of the gospel. It's the message of this book. There is something worth standing for. And when it comes, when the enemies of Christ come along and try to tempt you to turn from that message of Christ, may we proclaim the overwhelming message of Galatians. No turning back. No turning back. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time you've given us in your